Well, good choice on that video. I love watching that one. Uh, If you are new here and you don't know me, my name is Peter. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I don't always get to speak here, but whenever I do, I'm always excited for it. And so thank you for having me here. Uh, I just want to say I've been really blessed lately. I've been thinking about it, and I've had these wonderful conversations with my son Dawson. And that's a cool thing because come to think of it, like when I first got to this church uh, two and a half years ago, he didn't talk at all. He's only three years old right now. But now we're having full-on conversation. And what makes it even cooler that, than that is that we're not only talking about random stuff, but sometimes we get to actually talk about God, right? Just the other week, we were in the neighborhood, and we were going for a walk. Like, after my, my work, it was a good time, much better weather than what it is today. And so we're walking around the neighborhood, and Dawson sees his dog out there, and he goes, Dad, why is that dog so big? And so I said, I don't know. How should I answer this question? I just told him, well, God made him big. And he goes, oh, God made the dog? And I said, yeah, God made everything. And so we had a God discussion right there about the dog. And then that same day, later that night, right, I put him down for bed, and, and we pray, we brush his teeth, we do all that stuff. And as I'm about to leave the room, he grabs my arm. And he goes, wait, wait, stay. Stay, Dad. And I'm like, Dawson, I got to go. You got to rest. You got school tomorrow. And he goes, no, I'm scared. And I go, oh, okay. Well, well, what are you scared about? And this is when I could tell he wasn't really scared, because he didn't have an answer. He's like, uh, uh coyotes. I'm afraid a coyote is going to come here and eat me. And then I knew he wasn't really scared of that. He just wanted me to keep him company. So I said, well, coyote's not going to come in. They can't come into your home. But if you're still scared, just ask Jesus to come into your heart and keep you safe. He'll make you feel better. And he said, I could ask Jesus to help me. I said, you could ask Jesus for whatever you want. And so I had this great day where I could talk about God. I could talk about Jesus. But as I come to think about it, you know what I didn't do? I didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, right? In fact, those two words, holy and spirit together in that order, has never come out of my mouth when communicating with my son Dawson. And there's good reason for that. He's three years old. He's not going to understand the things that I'm talking about, right? I could barely understand the Trinity, and I went to seminary three times. And so I know he's not going to get it. But still, I think there's a little bit of a reflection, a little bit of a microcosm in that about sometimes the way we think about God. Because we think about God the Father, of course. Certainly we think of Jesus the Son, but very much less frequently do we think about the Holy Spirit. And so I think this is an incredible series that we have where that's all we get to do, is to think about and discuss that often forgotten God, the Holy Spirit, and to truly see why he is so important in our lives. So let's do this. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump right into it. God, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have today to just worship together, but also to be in your word and to learn about you. And God, I pray that's what happens. We learn about you, specifically your spirit. And God, I pray that you would transform us, you would change us, you would shape us, you would help us to know you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, speaking of kids, when I was a kid, I loved to watch cartoons. That's what I did. I was glued to the TV. Any cartoon you can think of, I watched it, as long as it came in through the antenna, because we didn't have cable TV back then. We couldn't afford it. But if it came in through those rabbit ears, I would watch it, right? Looney Tunes, Disney Afternoon, Saturday Morning, Chipmunks, Garfield, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, even The Simpsons. I watched that show. And I watched so much cartoons that I started to notice a pattern, right? In all of these shows, there was like this one particular scene that would seem to show up in almost every show. It didn't matter which one it was. It was this scene or this trope where the main character of that show would be in this major dilemma because he or she would have to make a decision about whether to do something good or something bad, right? 
this age-old moral dilemma. Do I go down this path and do something right, or do I go down that path and do something wrong? And often way, oftentimes the way in which this quandary was depicted was by having two figures appear in the character's life. And what are those two figures? There's an angel and a devil. And they would show up and sit on the character's shoulders, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? And the angel would be like on one shoulder saying, oh, no, you got to do what's good. you got to follow your conscience. This is the thing that you have to do. And then the devil would sit there on the other shoulder going, yeah, shut up. Don't do that. Don't listen to that guy. It's so much better, so much more fun to do this. And there's this dilemma, right, this tension that the character has. Should I follow the angel? Should I follow the devil? And if you watch cartoons, like 98% of the time, what does the guy do? Follows the devil, right? And the rest of the show is about how to undo that decision or make things right. Now, that's just a trope on TV, right? It's fictitious. That's not a spiritual reality. We don't actually have an angel on our shoulders. We don't actually have a devil on this one. But in a lot of ways as Christians, sometimes we feel like we can relate to that struggle. Because as believers in Christ, yes, we want to do what's right. We want to do what's good. We want to do that which pleases and honors the Lord. But then there's another side of us that feels a force, that feels a tension that sometimes pulls us in the other direction. That can be a very strong force that maybe tells us, why don't you go this other path? Instead of pleasing God, please yourself. And so we struggle with this. And much like the cartoons, maybe it's not 98% of the time, or at least I hope not, but more often than we would like, sometimes we follow that path. Maybe, for example, it shows up like in your everyday life, um, I don't know, in your marriage. You know, you're, you're married, and, and you want to have a great marriage. You're Christian. You want to honor God. God-honoring, Christ-centered marriage. You want to be a reflection of his love, his goodness, his patience, his forgiveness, all that stuff. You want peace in the house. You want to set a good example for the kids. And so you tell yourself, you know, I know we've had some rough patches along the way, but that's it. No more of that. Not going to fight anymore. Just going to treat each other well. We're going to get along. Just have this peace. Show our kids what it's like to have this really godly relationship. And then what starts to happen? Days go by. Weeks go by sometimes. Things start to happen. Someone leaves a dirty sock on the coffee table. Someone doesn't fold the laundry the correct way. Toilet seat is left up in the wrong position. Hair is left in the drain. And in our marriage, that's obviously not me, right? (laughs) disagreements start to pop up, what to eat for dinner, what the weekend plans are going to be, what TV show to watch, whose turn it is to do the chores. All of these things start to build up. And all of a sudden, what are you doing? You're yelling, you're fighting, you're arguing and saying all sorts of damaging and hurtful things to each other. But you had just said you're not going to do that. And yet, things get to us, that pull in the other direction. And it happens all the time. It happens with our coworkers or customers at work, maybe with your kids or your parents or in-laws. It happens with all sorts of temptations that come into our lives, gossip or jealousy or envy or slander or lying or cheating or stealing or lust. And as we fall into these sins, we get so disappointed in ourselves. It grieves our souls. Well, I have good news for us here this morning. Because what I want to share with all of you here is this, that if you are a Christian, if you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as your Savior, you do not have to live like that anymore. You can be free from the bondages of sin. You can rise above those temptations and inclinations and live a victorious life that truly does honor and please God. How? Well, that's exactly what I want to share with you here today. And the way in which I want to do that is by showing you three things, three truths that will emerge from the scripture. 
As we look at God's word, I want us to see these three things, three questions that we will ask and answer together. And those three questions are this. Number one, I want us to see why this even happens in the first place, right? What is the root cause? What is the reason why, even though we're believers who have faith and love God, we still seem to be pulled in that direction of sin? So what is the reason? Number two, I want us to see what that solution is that I just promised. What is the solution that God gives to us to overcome? How has he equipped us to be able to defeat those tendencies and urges? And then number three, I want us to see what that means for us today. In other words, what's the application? What's the next step? What's my next move in light of this truth? So three things, the problem, the solution, and the application. Question number one, why do we experience this pull into sin in the first place? Well, according to Scripture, the answer is simple. It's because of Adam, as in Adam and Eve. It's because Adam. We're still experiencing the effects of the first sin of the fall of man. Because Adam sinned. He brought the sin into the world, and now we are experiencing that same sinfulness. Paul says it this way in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse number 12. I'll read the verse to you. It says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all have sinned. And so Paul makes that connection. It's Adam. It's his sin and the spiritual decay that resulted that is now still affecting all people. We experience that same sin and death. You know, when my son was born um, just a few years ago, as soon as he came out of his mom's womb and entered into the world, there was a particular thing I looked for on his body, okay? Like, literally, my eyes just went. There was the first thing. I was so anxious to see this about him physically. You know what it was? It was his hands. I wanted to see Dawson's hands, specifically his pinky. And some of you guys are like, that's weird. Why, why did you want to see his pinky? Well, I'll tell you exactly why. It's because myself, I was born with sort of a, a handicap, if you would. And that is that my pinky is short, and it's curved and bent weirdly, and it's not that strong. I just don't have good pinkies. Most pinkies will probably go up to like here. Mine stops like right there. And so thankfully, it hasn't been a huge deal in my life, right? Because the pinky is probably like the least important finger that you have. It's the least frequently used um, pinky. And so it doesn't inhibit my everyday life, but there's two ways in which it can get really annoying. Number one, when I wear gloves, there's always this extra space in the pinky part of the glove, and it, like, bugs me. But number two, and more functionally, it really makes it annoying for me when I'm trying to play musical instruments. Now, I don't play instruments now, but I'm Asian, so I played the piano and the, the violin as a kid, right? And it was so hard for me to, like, reach certain keys on the piano or when I played, like, the violin and I had to use my pinky finger, I just couldn't get, like, a good vibrato. Or I would, sort of, like, hit the other strings. They'd make this weird sound. And it was so frustrating. And even when I got older and started to play, like, the guitar, there were certain chords I just couldn't do because they would touch. My pinky would touch the other strings because I couldn't curve it properly. And I certainly couldn't do a hammer-on or a pull-off, which basically you're using your pinky to hit the strings hard. I just wasn't strong enough in my fingers. And so my wife, who was up here singing, you know, she likes music and stuff. I thought maybe Dawson might be into music when he grows up. He might have that music gene. He might play some instruments. So I wanted to see his hands. Is he going to be able to play it without any obstacles in his life? So when he was born, I checked. Is he going to have his mom's long, normal pinky? Or is he going to have his dad's short, weird pinky? And so I looked. And what did Dawson have? 
he had his dad's short, <laughs> weird pinky. And man, I was like devastated. I was so disappointed. I was like, oh, and I felt bad because my fault, right? He might be musical. If, if he gets his mom's music gene, he might want to play the guitar. But because of me, he's going to struggle. He's going to have to work extra hard. And I felt so bad about that. And guess what? I gave that to him. But not only that, you know where I got it from? My dad gave it to me because he has that same pinky. And so does my sister. And so does my dad's dad. And I don't know this for a fact because I never met him, but I think my dad's dad's dad probably had it too. And the idea is basically like he has passed on, right? The, the fathers in my life have passed down this genetic thing that leaves me short, pun intended, by the way, that leaves me short of being able to truly accomplish my full potential. In the same way, spiritually, that's what Paul is saying. Our first father, Adam, has passed down to us this genetic sin, spiritually, if you would, and it leaves us short of being able to fulfill our potential of living an obedient and godly and virtuous life. We have the effects of the sin within us. And the Bible has a word for this. It's called the flesh. Right? You may have heard it. It's called the flesh in the original language, sarks. And the flesh for us in English, we often think of something physical, like our bodies, like, oh, very fleshy, my, my meat or the skin or the muscles. But it has nothing to do with the physical body. It's a spiritual reality. The flesh refers to that innate, inborn, um, spiritual part of immaterial part of us that just tends towards sin. It's a spiritual habit that we have that just tends to veer away from God. And so the way I like to think about it, it's kind of like an itch in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right? You ever had like an itch, the wrong place at the wrong time? Um, I do. I get that sometimes, not right now, but when I'm speaking and giving sermons. Right? There'll be like an itch in my nose, like when I'm speaking. And I'm trying to do something important, right? like share the word of God. I'm trying to do a godly thing, preaching and sharing the gospel. But sometimes an itch will come in in my nose, like a little hair that's just tickling me. And it bugs me so bad because all I want to do, all I'm thinking about is like, getting off the stage, going in the bathroom, and just sticking my finger in my nose to scratch it, because that would be so satisfying. But obviously, I can't just do that. I can't on this stage, like the light, the only light in this whole room is shining on me. There's a camera like right there. It's recording me. You guys are all looking at me. I can't just pick my nose, but I want to do it so bad. And, and, and that is basically the flesh. Right? We're trying to do good, godly things, but there's something in the way that's kind of tickling us and urging us and saying, come on, just pick it. You know you want to do it. You know how satisfying it'll be. It'll feel so good. Come on, just pick it. But we can't. We can't. That's the flesh, right? It's gravity. It's a force that pulls us down, and we all feel it, and it's because of Adam. So that's the answer to question number one. Why do we experience this in the first place? It's because it's a result or an effect of the fall. But as I said, as I said, we don't have to be stuck on the ground. Even though it's like gravity that pulls us down, we can rise above and get to where we need to be in our relationship with God. And the question is how? What's the solution then? How can we rise above? How can we be free of this inborn, innate, inherited tendency to go away from God? Well, the answer again is simple, and it is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. 
That is God's solution to the problem of sin in the Christian life. He has gifted to us himself in the formless spirit who now resides, dwells within us to give us the strength and ability to overcome the sin which we cannot overcome by ourselves. And this, in fact, is what God had promised to us like 550 years before Jesus even came to this earth. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter number 37, in a very, very famous verse, this is what God promised to his people through the prophet Ezekiel. He says this in verse 27 of Ezekiel 36, I will put my, what, spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What's God saying there? Basically, right before that, he said, you have a heart of stone. Your heart is hardened. There's too much sin. You don't have the ability to follow me. So this is what I will do. I will give you a solution. I will give you myself. And I will live in you to make it possible for you to follow my decrees, to make it possible for you to keep my laws. God says the spirit goes in us and moves with our spirit together to transform us into righteousness. And this is just an incredible promise that he gives to us. And this, in fact, brothers and sisters, is probably one of the most important, if not the most important role and function of the Spirit in our lives as believers after we become saved, is he dwells within us to help transform us into Christ-likeness. In fact, Paul talks about this too in the book of Romans, chapter 8. In one of the most important chapters about the Holy Spirit, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, he says this, about the role of the Spirit in the spiritual realm in verses 8 through 10. He says, Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, you are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And Paul says that's the solution. It's the Holy Spirit that comes in us and defeats the sin, enables enables us to be righteous, and the Holy Spirit allows us to be holy as well. And that's the solution. The Holy Spirit that God has given to us. Which leads us directly into question number three, and this is our last question for today. So what does that mean for us here today? Because there's got to be more, right? I mean, I've been a believer for a long time, which means I have the Holy Spirit in me. I'm in Christ, like Paul says here in Romans 8. But I still sin. I've still fallen. I've still gone down the wrong path. I followed that, you know, devil on my shoulder. What comes next? And that's a great question because there is, I believe, a practical application to this. There is a practical and active obedience that God does call us to. And there are many of them. But because of time, I just want to talk about one of them, which I think is a very important one, and perhaps the first one that we should apply to our lives. And the answer of what we should do next is simply this. We should set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Set our minds on the things of the Spirit to transform or orient ourselves towards all things related to God. In fact, Paul says it this way in Romans 8, and we are in Romans 8 a lot. We were in Romans 8 last week. We'll be in Romans 8 next week because, like I said, this is probably the most important section of Scripture on what the Holy Spirit does in our lives today. But in Romans 8, verses 5 through 6, Paul says this. 
those who live according to the flesh, well, they have their minds set on the flesh's desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires, and the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And Paul says, the person who has the Spirit in them, what do they need to do? They need to set their mind on the Spirit. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, it means we're filling ourselves constantly with the things of God and the things that please God. We're inundating, we're permeating, we're infusing our lives with all things related to God. We're thinking about God all the time. In fact, Paul says it this way. This is from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 8. Again, a very famous passage. He says this to his fellow Christian brothers and sisters. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what? Think about such things. Fill our minds, fill our thoughts, fill ourselves with the things of God. And this is a little bit different than oftentimes the way that we think we should deal with sin, right? Because when it comes to like, oh, I'm falling or I'm struggling this way, we're so focused on the don'ts. Don't do this don't do that, I can't go here, I can't look at that. And those are all very, very important things. Don't get me wrong. Paul will go on to say later in verse 13 of Romans 8 to put to death the deeds of the flesh. There are stuff that we are not supposed to do, but what comes first is what we are to do, and that is to fill our minds with the things of God. So we go to church on Sundays because that allows us to have our minds thinking about God. But when we leave, church doesn't end because we also need to be thinking about God in other places of our lives. In the car, we can listen to Christian music. At work, we can put a little post-it on the monitor that says the verse for that week from the sermon or a thought from that sermon. So you're always looking at that throughout the week. You can go to verse by verse like we talked about or PPP, which is our monthly prayer meeting. You can join a small group. You can talk about spiritual things with friends or family members. And as we inundate our lives with these things of the Spirit, God starts to transform us in such a way that it starts to push out some of those things of the flesh. You know, it's kind of like the age-old question, right? Maybe you've heard this riddle, but there's a glass. And someone might ask, how do I get all the air out of this glass? How do I get all the air out of this empty drinking glass? And there's really two ways to do it. I mean, number one, for someone who's a little bit more scientific or engineering-oriented, you might say, well, that's easy. You just take it to the lab, put an airtight seal on it, and vacuum it out. And if I can get a seal on there and and vacuum and extract the air out, I'll get all the air out of this glass. And it is true. You can do that. It's a little difficult to do. There's a more simple solution, which is what? You take that glass, you go outside right here, you turn the corner, and that black machine, you push the button, and you put water in there. And as you fill that glass with water, it does the exact same thing. It takes out all the air. And it's the same thing in our spiritual lives as well. We can try to extract every sin out of our lives, and we need to do that. But what comes first is we fill it with the things of the Spirit. You know, I just want to tell one story, and we'll be done for today. But it was a couple of years ago. I was at this, at this gas station, right? And it was before I was at this church. And at this gas station, um, I was, you know, at this time attending a church that was not here, and we were a part of a small group. I realized at the gas station, you know, I got a small group meeting coming up later today, but I didn't, I didn't do my homework for it, Right? So, okay, it's probably a good idea. Um, I'm like a pastor. I should probably do the homework for the small group. 
So what I decided to do was I had some time. I had to get somewhere, but I was running a little bit early. I had about 15 minutes of extra time. I decided I'm just going to do my small group homework, and I think it was like a devotional book. I'm just going to do it right there at the gas station. And so I pumped the gas. I put it in, and I let it run. And I just took out my book, and I started doing my homework devotional right there in the car. It took about 15 minutes, read the questions, took out my phone, read the, the Bible passages associated with it, wrote down some notes, said a little prayer, and then after about 10 or 15 minutes, I was done. So I closed the book, put it away, went out, took the gas thing out of the car. It had finished minutes ago, but I was sitting there, and don't worry, it was like a time of the day where there weren't a lot of cars, so I wasn't, it wasn't like Costco, you know, in the middle of the, the recent surge or anything like that. There was lots of spaces for people to, you know, put their other cars, and so I, you know, put the car gas thing in, and I got ready to leave. I pulled out of this strip mall, right? I pulled right up to that little dip where you can get out, and I was ready to make a right turn to go out of the gas station. I had my sing- signal blinker on and everything. And as I'm ready to go out of the gas station, what happens? This huge truck, right? Like not a semi, but kind of like an electrical construction worker type vehicle just comes like zooming in. Like I kid you not, probably like 40, 50 miles an hour it felt like. Comes zooming in trying to come into the same plaza that I'm getting out of at like 40 miles an hour. But because my car was there, he couldn't do it. So he's trying to come in. He had to swerve out and pass me. And the minute he did this, this guy was so upset, right? He's like, honked the horn. He got out of the car. He's like cussing me out and saying, what are you doing? Move your car. Like, where'd you learn how to drive? And gave me the finger and all that. And I felt like I didn't feel good about that, right? I'm like, that, bro, you're coming in at like 40 miles an hour trying to make a right turn into a gas station. Is it really my fault here? And so I was like, whatever, dude. And, and I drove off. But I, I tell you, man, as I drove off, I just was not happy, right? There, were, there was something in my heart that didn't feel right. And so I decided I'm going to go back there. I'm going to talk to this guy. And so I literally, I made a U-turn. Uh, and I'm going back there. And I'm thinking, what should I say to this guy, right? And then all of a sudden, like, it came to me. I, I knew exactly what I was going to do and what I was going to say to this guy. So I come into this gas station. His car was still like down the street a little bit. He had gotten out of it for some reason and was like in the middle of the gas station with his car out here on the street. And I found the guy. And I'm like, hey, are you that guy that just tried to come in that was like cussing me out and stuff? And you know, he's kind of like this tough guy. He's like, yeah, what? What are you going to do about it? And I remember I, I knew exactly what I wanted to say to him. I said, sir, uh, I was wondering, is it okay if I pay for your gas today? Because it seems like you're having a bad day. And if I could just help make your day a little bit better, I, I would love to be able to do that. And, and I kid you not, like the expression change on his face, like how quickly that happened was like the fastest thing I've ever seen in my life. It went from like, oh, I'm going to kill you to like almost having tears in my life. And you know what he said to me? The first words that came out of his mouth, he said, bro, can I give you a hug? <laughs> and like, I was like, okay. And we just hugged there, like in the middle of the gas station. And, and he said to me, like, man, I'm so glad you came back because, like, honestly, I felt really bad about what I did because I know it's not your fault. And, and we had this moment, right? I mean, we didn't have forever. I still had to get somewhere. But we had this moment where he, he told me a little bit about his day. He's like, I got, like, four broken ribs right now, and I have no money. And that's why I was going so fast is because I actually ran out of gas down the street, and so I was trying to use the momentum of my car to try to pull into the gas station because I couldn't accelerate to make it in there. And that explains why his car was, like, parked over there. He went in to see if anyone could help 
push him into the station. He said, I have like no money and I'm in pain and things are going rough and this, this is amazing, man. Thank you so much. And so I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. And I just said, man, God, God bless you. And I remember he just looked straight at me and he said, no, God bless you. And it was an incredible moment for me, right? I mean, just one of the most memorable interactions that I was able to have to do something so meaningful to bless this guy by doing something so small. Now, I tell that story not to brag about me, right, and to say, oh, look at me. I'm such a kind, generous person because, like, here's the truth. Any other day, I would have had a much different response. I would have thought of something completely different to say. But this is what I believe happened because I had just spent time in God's Word. I had just spent time in that devotional. I had just spent time saying a prayer about what I read. I had just spent time thinking about that small group that I was going to attend, essentially because I had set my mind on the things of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit used that to drive out whatever initial sinful thought that I had, which was to have rage and revenge and vengeance and violence or whatever. And instead, he replaced that with something much more generous and compassionate and gentle. And that, my friends, is in fact what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He moves into us so that when we truly embrace him, he can transform us and move us. And he can bring into our lives that life and that peace that only God can bring. Let's pray together today. Lord God, we thank you so much that although, Lord, we do fall short, Although in so many ways, Lord, we are weak, you don't leave us to our own devices. But Lord, quite literally, you are right there with us in every aspect of our lives, wherever we go. And so today, God, I pray a prayer of encouragement to all my brothers and sisters for them to know they are not alone. That God, you are more powerful than any struggle. God, that you are more powerful and more willing than any obstacle that we can face. Lord, it may not be easy. It may not happen overnight. But God, we know that nothing can stop you and your love, that you can change us, that you can make us like you. So would you allow us to respond? Would you allow us to just listen to you to be the people that you want us to be? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing this last song, can we all stand together?